What it do, baby? It's your boy, Mr. Pro Fights Be Like, here on the Pro Fights Be Like podcast. This is episode 35, and I, of course, have a guest. I've been looking forward to this, y'all. Um, I probably read this. I reached out to him like probably like three weeks a month ago. We finally got something set up. We got John Marshall Jones on the line, man. How you doing, sir? Hey, listen, everything is good, uh, uh, Mr. PBL. <laughs> Hey, and it's so funny, like, looking at you right now and having a conversation with you because I I grew up watching you. So it's like, you know, um, like in Smart Guy, you remind me so much of my dad, recipes of my dad, because he was, you know, big into, you know, construction, just like how your character Floyd Henderson was. And uh, I mean, y'all both light skinned, like the whole thing, like you remind me of my dad so much, man. So it's like, you know. Yeah, yeah, man, definitely, definitely. So, um, but no, how you doing today? Listen, uh, brother, people ask me that, and my answer, uh, I hope, will always continue to be the same, which is bills are paid, I'm healthy, family's healthy, God is good. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Let's 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 get into you. So, uh, you from uh, Detroit? Yeah, I was born in Detroit, and then um, my family moved to Caracas, Venezuela for about four years. Okay, Um, all right. Yeah, they had a a program in the 60s where they were afraid that communism was going to take over South America. Mm -hmm. So the United States sent a bunch of social workers down to South America to help them develop the skills to become uh, a middle-class society. Okay. Uh, And my mother was part of that program. Gotcha. Which, by the way, Uh if we wanted to in the United States, we could do the exact same thing, but for the people who are in the most need of falling out or not having access to the middle class. Mm. And so I want to say to everybody who uh, is thinking that uh, that Donald Trump is the only way for you to get back to the middle class. It is not. And we Damn. have power and the programming to be able to align our education system with the jobs that are needed right now and aren't filled because people aren't educated to do them. And those two things both exist together at the same time. We have millions of jobs they go unfilled because people, let me get this hat off, because people aren't trained to do it. Yeah. We also have a community college system that is there capable of training people to do those jobs. And that was something that President Obama started and then Donald Trump stopped. So I'm hoping that in this time, as we consider um, who to vote for and why to vote for them, Uh, please consider those programs that were in place that would now be maturing after four years uh, that we can now start again to help you get back into the middle class or prevent you from falling out. Definitely. Wise words. And we definitely going to talk about voting a little bit later. Um, I'm going to propose a question to you so that you can, uh, say this to our to our listeners because voting is important a voteless people is a hopeless people for sure um so yeah so uh detroit uh venezuela um where did you where did you go to college uh i went to northwestern university okay 
I went to Northwestern to uh, to study journalism. Evanston, play, right? In Evanston. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. Yep. Study journalism and play basketball, and found out that when you really got on a high level, I wasn't that good at either one of them. <laughs> uh, but I found my way to acting. Yeah. And Northwestern was the number one acting school in the country at the time, and I happened to be there, so I jumped into acting and never looked back. Yeah, so we're we going to get into the acting, but uh, let's talk about Cap Alpha Attorney Incorporated. When, when did you cross? Uh, May 24th, 1985. Ooh-wee! A.M. In the dark of night, they covered me black as a pit. From Ooh-wee! Old- Ooh-wee! That 1980 talking, that spring 1980 <laughs> talking. You want to... Uh, when it was hot. Hey, ooh-wee. Yeah, real hot. Flaming yeah, hot, I bet. It was hot. <laughs> it was hot, and it wasn't completely illegal. Uh, yeah, no, not at all. You uh, want to share? You got any uh, stories you want to share? Or well, first, why why did you pick Kappa? Uh, I picked Kappa because my best friend said, "Yo, man, I'm gonna pledge Kappa. You want to pledge?" <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, shit, you can do it. I'm doing it." Because we would like that. Yeah, 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 uh, definitely. You know, I I will say that uh, that joining Kappa Alpha Psi is. Mm-hmm. Um, the best decision I made in my entire life Um, because that process um, of being challenged to get into an organization Uh made you have to dig deeper into yourself than you ever would have if you weren't challenged. Yeah. And later on in life, when I got out here into the, the mainstream American society, you know, Uh people are going to challenge you because of the hue of your skin. Yep. And what I found was that it didn't matter what they did. They weren't going to do what the noops did when I was online. Yep. And since you wasn't going to do that, you don't have nothing for me. So you might as well just give me what I came for. Yeah. I'm not going backwards. I feel you. Um, and I know that, uh, that, that Kappa, uh, is, I mean, it's my organization and I love it, but the sensibility of what that's about is not unique. Uh, all of our black Greek organiza- organizations, be it Alpha or Q or Sigma, or I believe it's the IOTAs now, are built on the principle of building men to be better than they would be if they didn't join this organization. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that, uh, that I'm really hoping and part of what I'm working toward is to find a way for us as black men that are part of these different Greek organizations to come together to operate and function as a body. For instance, if we all were to get together and say, hey, we're going to press forward the idea of voter literacy through these four or five major black Greek organizations and make sure that everybody that's in the orbit of any one of our members has all the information that they need to be literate as a voter. We would make a tremendous impact on voting in the United States. And that's just one thing. Mm -hmm. So um, it is about, you know, when we're in college, it's all about who we are individually as organization. My organization is better than yours, mm-hmm. right? And that's cool. It's fun. We got a good time. Yeah. But when we get out into the world, we're all black men again. 
Yeah. We're all fighting against the same thing. And there is no time for Kappas to be fighting Alphas and Alphas to be fighting Qs. And we don't have no time for that no more. Yeah. This thing that we're up against now mm-hmm. is serious and it's out there. Yeah. It doesn't matter what kind, what your color, what your organization is. If you're a black man and you get stopped by the police, anything can happen. Yeah. And so we have to start seeing ourselves as a more unified front. Yeah. Rather than as separate organizations working against each other. Definitely. I agree. Um, and I think that's, you know, one of the reasons why I started Pro Fights Be Like. You know, I'm all about um, celebrating Black Greek unity. Um, because, of course, you know, once I graduated, I realized that, you know, the world is, I mean, of course, Alpha is my organization, but the world is so much bigger than Alpha. You have Kappas, you have Qs, you have Deltas. And when it comes to networking, when you're looking for a job, you know, it, it goes so, it goes so, so, it's so much deeper than just our organization. It's the whole divine nine. And if we all just came together so strong as we have the opportunity to do, especially in today's society, talk about the change that will happen. And especially with one of the divine nine on a presidential ticket. Yes. Right. Uh, Uh Let's just all get behind our AKA system and push her, uh, her candidacy as far as we can and put ourselves in position to get access to the information that she is going to have access to once she's in office. Definitely. Right. Definitely. Uh It's all about the information and mostly Uh, What hurts black folks is that we don't have access to the inside information that allows us to function. Mm -hmm. For instance, we got something in our society called bankruptcy. Yep. Uh, To white folks, bankruptcy is something that you do to reorder your finances. You don't have to pay these bills over here. They can't come after you. So you can take your resources and point them in this direction to keep growing and flourishing. And you can do that every seven years. That's what Donald Trump did. He decided not to pay bills and to stiff all them people that work for him, all of those painters and construction workers and contractors, he didn't pay them. He instead declared bankruptcy, which allowed him then to take those resources and point them in a different direction. But the information that we get is that when you file bankruptcy, it's the end of your financial life. You're a failure. How dare you not be able to pay your bills? So we continue to carry debt for a much longer period of time than we actually need to because we're trying to avoid the shame of something that other people use to lift themselves up financially. Mm -hmm. So that kind of information is information that African-Americans by and large don't have access to. Yeah. Another one, uh, insurance. Talk about it. Black folks by and large buy, uh, buy life insurance for, uh, for, you know, afterlife expenses. They want to, you know, have the burial paid for, and they don't want to put that burden on anybody. Okay, that's great. But white folks buy life insurance in a different way. White man buys a house. The house is worth a million dollars. He's paid off $500,000. He buys a $500,000 life insurance policy so that if he dies, the life insurance policy pays off the house. The house goes in entirety to his children, and they have something called generational wealth that keeps getting passed down over and over again. 
Talk now, about it. if nobody explains that to you, then you think that life insurance is kind of a scam. I don't really need it. I ain't going to die. I'm only 40 years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but if you buy a home and you don't want to lose it, you have to protect it by using insurance. That's what they do. Yeah. Most people in the end of it lose their homes because of medical expenses. You get older, you don't have insurance, you get sick, then you got to start taking money out of the house. Mm -hmm. That happens over and over again, especially in our community. Yep. But they have something called long-term care insurance. So before you get old and sick, you buy long-term care insurance that will take care of you when that that sickness comes that you know is going to happen because you, if you're lucky, you're going to get old. Yeah. And then it'll pay for that. You don't have to drop into your, uh, the value of your home at all. Mm-hmm. And your life insurance that you put in place when you die pays off the home. Now you have insured yourself that no matter what happens, the value of your home will be passed on as generational wealth to your children. Now, there's so much of this information out here. Yeah. By and large, African-Americans don't get access to that information. So it's much harder for us to develop generational wealth. And so every generation has to start, start over all over. Yep. Mm-hmm. Right. You got to go and take out loans to go to school rather than having a trust fund that's going to pay for school. Yep. It takes all this stuff that should be a win and turns it into an if. Yep. So then you gotta take out loans, you come out with a bunch of debt, you can't pay the debt off till you're 50, so you mm-hmm. can't buy a house until you're 40, yeah. and you can't develop generational wealth that way. You're right. But I, we have the information. The, yeah. the Black Greek Divine Nine Circle has this information, and we've got to come together and start sharing this and being the talented 10th that W.E.B. Du Bois called us out to be. Yes, sir. Yes, indeed. Let's um, let's uh, get back to. Um, I know I'm all over the place. You're I know talking. it's good. It's good because <laughs> I'm 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 and to be honest, I wasn't expecting this, um, but it's it's great that you're you know it's coming from you you know because uh, you have people who don't know about you know how insurance really works over bankruptcy and things of that nature. And, you know, um, with someone who, you know, you've experienced life, like you, you, you was in college during the eighties and I'm fully grown brother. You you full grown, you full grown. (laughs) You grown man. Hey. And, uh, like we, we need to listen to people who, you know, that's given his knowledge, man, because just like, like we, we've been saying, like it, 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 the whole community would be so, powerful and we would have our black wall streets all over again and have you know um our own banks and have our own you know so so many other things i I think uh could come from this but um this is the first generation uh your generation be the first generation where um where there is an awareness that there are laws that are stacked against you developing generational wealth Mm -hmm. right so you had Black Wall Street developed it in 1921. They burnt that to the ground because they didn't yep. want you having that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. Many of the lynchings out of the South, we look at it as this was just a heinous act 
but it was it was heinous, but it was also calculated because they were lynching people to take them off of their land. Mm -hmm. They were telling people, y'all got to get off this land. And the reason they were hanging people from the tree is generally the tree on the land to make sure that everybody on that land knew we'll kill everybody on here if y'all don't get off this land. Yeah. That is economic disenfranchisement. Yep. And that was supported by the legal system and the judicial system of the United States by not prosecuting people for doing that. Yeah. So the idea that anybody would think there is an institutional racism, the whole country has been built on institutional racism. Mm -hmm. That 300 or 400 years of absolutely free labor that you could work them from sun up to sundown and didn't have to pay them and didn't actually have to feed them and didn't have to clothe them. You could put them in a shack with some rags and some freaking ground up corn and some chitlins and that's what you got. Mm -hmm. And you do that for 400 years. That's how you become the wealthiest nation in the world. Yep. And it's only now that that idea is starting to get any kind of traction in the mainstream. Mm -hmm. It is not taught in American history. It is taught as black history, as yep. if black history is not American, American history, yeah. but it is. And so we have to go about uh, rewriting these books. There's only like three companies that are doing all the textbooks in the United States mm -hmm. and they down there in Texas. Yeah. Oh, no, right? I, I didn't even think where, about that. Where they're not trying to, uh, to tell you the truth or give you any perspective about the influence that the African-American culture has had on our society outside of music and sports. Yeah, definitely. John, John Marshall Jones for Congress, everybody. <laughs> let's get him, let's get him in some office, man. We, we need him there, but no, for real. Um, Let's uh, get into, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, voting, the question I got jotted down for you. Um, how, how did you get into acting? I know you said that uh, you started off in journalism at Northwestern and then decided to get into acting. Why acting? What, what stood out to you? Well, uh, I had done some acting in high school. Um, I was pretty good at it and also was pretty good at basketball. Uh, when I got to school, uh, somehow the word kind of got out at Northwestern that I had been an actor in high school. And a young lady named Pat Adams was putting up an all-black production of You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. And it was going to be done at this big theater that only the biggest white productions got done at. And somehow she had got it on the agenda. So she came to me and said, listen, they don't think we have enough black talent on campus to do You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Because of course, they're looking at only the theater department where there's only like five black people. They don't have enough there to fill out the cast. Yeah. So would you come by an audition? You don't have to be in the play. Just come audition so they can see that we have enough talent. Yeah. And, you know, uh, if you ever go into a job interview where you don't really care whether you get the job, you say or do just about anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of, you know, my thing. I came in to sing. I hadn't prepared a song. Dude happened to have sheet music for a song that I sang at the junior, senior dinner in high school. So I just uh -huh. got up and ripped it. Yeah. 
and then, and then left. Said, okay, thanks, man. Yeah. And I was on my way. But when I walked out of there, I had this flash. I said, that's what I want to do with the rest of my life. Mm. And so I redid everything, dropped out of school for a quarter, mm -hmm. came back as a theater student. And wow. It was, uh, you know, all guns blazing from there. Do you remember uh, what, what plays you played in in high school? Uh, I did a production of uh, Antigone. Okay. Uh, a Greek tragedy. And uh, also did a play called Dark at the Top of the Stairs, which I think was a Tennessee Williams play. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. yeah. I, we were doing makeup for the first time, right? So they had the, you know, like heavy makeup, uh -huh. you know, yeah. stick in the whole thing. Uh -huh. and, uh, you know, I got some pretty big lips, dude. And, uh, <laughs> it was uh, a white girl that I had to kiss. And so I kissed her and I pulled back and it had these big lip prints from her nose. <laughs> her I was like, oh. But you know, listen, that's that's yeah. what happens in high school plays. Definitely. I feel you. I uh, did a little acting in high school myself, um, Raising in the Sun. Okay. Um, ain't Misbehaving. Were, were uh, you Walter or Bobo? I was the boyfriend, George Murchison. Oh, you was George Murchison with the white yep. shoe? Yep, with the yep. Faggot and white shoe. Yep, yep. Oh, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> I was George Murchison. Yep, yep. Yes. So, um, I, I've done a little. I even, you know, auditioned for uh, Straight Outta Compton. Um, I tried to get in that movie to play MC oh. Ren. Before we go on, because there's some people that's going to hear Faggoty White Shoes and say, what did he say? That is a line in <laughs> yes, the play. it's a line in the play. Don't, I'm quoting yeah. a line in the play yes. that is not my <laughs> individual thought about who people are. People exactly. are all right with me. I don't care who they are. Right. But, yep. So let's just let's put that in. I'm in the acting business. Yeah. We are accepting of everybody. Yep. So Definitely. don't, don't y'all put it out there that I said something I didn't <laughs> Yeah, that was that, that that was the words. That was the words. Right. Um, but yeah, no, like I've tried out for straight out of Compton, made it to the second round. I, yeah. I just love acting. It was in my well, my mom, she kind of got me started in it because she acted in high school. She played the mom in Raising in the Sun when she was in high school. So it was funny how, you know, when I got to high school, like, we went to different high schools, but I told her that uh, you know, I was auditioning for a play and she asked me what play. And of course I told her Raising the Sun, she Start deaf then come here in this house. I'm like, what are you talking about? Why would she's like, Yeah, I played in that 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 uh and she wants she wants to get into acting, so I guess she was trying to live through me or whatever. But right, right, but which, no, is, which is yeah. what we do as parents. Yeah, 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 man. So um, but no, that's that's what's up, man. So your first do you remember your first man? You've been in a lot of stuff. A lot of um, stuff. You've been in like you prepared in Martin, uh, Roseanne, Different World, NCIS. There's a website called IMDb. Yep. IMDb. Everything on there. And when you go in and look at my IMDb page, it just looks like I'm old. Let me go look. There's about three or four pages of credits in there. I, I laugh when I see it because half of that stuff I don't even remember. I bet. You know, it was that long ago. Oh man, here we go. Let me pull this up here. Oh wow. Pretty little liars. The Parkers, different world. Yeah. You you've been in a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh my goodness. I didn't wow. What? You were in uh White Man Can't Jump? 
Yeah. Like Mike? I was Big Walter in White Men Can't Jump. Wow. What? I need to go back and look at that movie. I really need to go back and look at that. It was shot. I was in all the Venice Venice Beach basketball scenes. Okay. And yeah. it was shot about a mile from where I live. Okay. So I got to get up in the morning, ride my bike to work, lock it up, have some breakfast. And then most of the scene, I had hurt my ankle or my foot or something. And I had to mm-hmm. lay down on my girlfriend's lap. And this mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous young lady named Sarah Stavro. Mm-hmm. I spent a week laying on her lap for 10 hours a day and got paid for it. Hey, hey, that's, that's the way to do it. <laughs> you know, I said, oh, yeah, I'm doing acting. <laughs> I'm doing this. Right up your alley, huh? Yeah, that was the one right there. Yeah, that was it right there. That's funny. So let's uh let's let's get into smart guy. So uh, when Disney Plus um, came out, I didn't go watch Iron Man, I didn't go watch Lion King, I didn't go watch Civil War. I went to go binge watch Smart Guy because that was my show growing up, you know. And I'm I'm mad that you know the the season got canceled early. And I went back and looked at it, and you know not only with the main cast such as you and Taj Mahari and Omar Gooden and. Uh, Marcus Weaver and Essen Atkins. It was so many other people I realized that that was in that that I didn't really realize it was there. Kyla Pratt, uh, Taraji P. Henson, um, Christina yeah, Milian, Gabrielle Union, like Nikia yeah. Burris, who's like my favorite Power Ranger ever. Like it was so many people in Smart Guy that like you know are legendary now. And how 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 was it working with those individuals at the time? And how how did you land? Um, Floyd Henderson, floaty, floaty, floaty. How, how did you oh, land? Yes, how, yeah. how you how you land that? Um, in Hollywood, you have to go through a series of auditions. Okay. And, uh, the final audition they call going to network. Uh huh. And um, when you go into network, you have to negotiate your contract before you actually get to the audition. And then they hand it to you and you got to sign. I mean, it used to be like a 200 page contract or something like that. And you got to sign everything before you go in the room. So we're all intelligent, right? Yep. And whatever that number is multiplied by 22, that's the contract that you were signing. So if that number was $25,000, you're signing something 25 times 22 and you try not to think about it before you go in the room. Cause that is a lot of freaking money. Right. So, um, I went through three of those in like a 10 day period where I got all the way in the room and didn't get the job. Wow. And as you can imagine, it feels like you blew that much money every time you hear you didn't get it. Mm-hmm. So by the time this thing came around for Smart Guy, I was like, you know, look, I read it. I was like, yo, I'm too young for this. You know, I'm I'm like, I'm in my early 30s and these kids are in high school and, you know, so I went in and I didn't even read it first. I went to the casting director. I said, look, Monica, they ain't gonna want me for this. I'm too young. They want somebody more established why don't I just go home? And then that way we don't have to waste everybody's time. I'm fine with it. I won't be upset with you. And um, 
the casting director, uh, a black woman named Monica Swan, just looked at me and said, baby, won't you let them make that decision? Wow. And I said, uh, okay. So I went on back and looked at the script some more and said, well, I don't think this is funny. So I'm not going to put all that energy in trying to make it funny. Yeah. But it reminds me of a conversation I had with my own son, who was, you know, about TJ's age. He's about 10 years old. Very, very smart. You know, light skinned, good looking. Uh, he's just going to have some haters. Yeah. And I had to try to explain that to him in the way that you'd explain to a 10-year-old, some people are just going to hate you for being you, but you can't let that affect who you are. You still have to be your best, even if they're hating on you. And so I went that in. sounded like that came straight from the uh, script. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I went in and, and read it just like that, just yeah. like I said it to my son. Yeah. And from what I hear, uh, they decided on me right there. Wow. And I was the first one that went in the room. Mm. So the days of auditions where people kept coming in and nobody outdid me. I will, however, tell you that on the day of the network audition, the day before my agent called me up and said, okay, look, I don't want you to get upset. All right. But uh, tomorrow they're bringing in Mr. T to read against you. Wow. And I said, Mr. T. They said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mr. T. I was like, man, listen, if they looking for Mr. T, they're not looking for me. I ain't worried about that. Yeah. And then I come to the audition and I see him and I'm like, yo, Mr. T, what's up, dog? Man? Ah, what's up, this Mr. T? And I was like, oh, shit. Okay, um, excuse me just a moment. And I went to the bathroom and I had to have a talk with myself. So JJ, this is your time. Mr. T already had his time. This is your moment. So go in there and let them see, give them the A-train ride. You, they gonna get the first class ride from JJ because you yeah. know you're ready for it. I had to give myself a talk. Yeah. And then I went in and did my thing and they liked it and you know, the rest is history. Wow, and I could not imagine Floyd Henderson being Mr. T at all. <laughs> no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm glad they didn't go that route and they kept you. Fool, what you talking about? <laughs> what? I couldn't do that. No, no, no. You was they—they they were right by putting you in that role because Mr. Yeah. T. Yeah, I don't know, man. It probably would have scared me away from the show. Scared the piss off them little kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no. Um, do you have a like a, a? Do you remember like a favorite episode of yours um, from a smart guy? I think. Uh... Maybe my favorite episode was uh, the episode that Kyla Pratt came on where TJ was trying to uh, dress down and-, and Yeah, that was my favorite too. Yeah. yeah. And you picked them up at the arcade like- this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a good episode. Now, she actually played two roles. She played uh, Brandy and then she also played like his date to the dance as well. Right. So when I went back and watched, I was like, wait, is, she, is this supposed to be Brandy again? Or is this like a whole separate girl? No, but no, yeah, no. you know, I didn't pick up on that when I was, you know, watching it then. But yeah, but that 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 was a great episode. And uh, you told him not to, I mean, hang with her. And that's just like kids, though. You know, like, I mean, we we try to listen to our parents as, you know, to the best of our abilities. But sometimes we are rebels and we like to do what we want to do. Um, and I think that 
there were a lot of lessons in smart guy that helped a lot of us who were, you know, um, at that age, whether we were TJ's age or in high school that were rebellious and taught us different lessons that, Hey, maybe, um, this is something that we shouldn't do, or maybe I should listen to my parents a lot more. So a lot of guidance has happened in that show. And, uh, I'm mad it got canceled, man. What, 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 what happened? What happened with the rest of the season? Do you remember? Um, yeah, it was, it was television politics. Yeah. Um, WB at the time had two different identities. They had all the black shows. So they had smart guy, sister, sister, Jamie Foxx, Wayans brothers, Steve Harvey. And that was all on, on one night. And then they had the white shows and they were trying to go mainstream. And they had a show called Dawson's Creek that they were really yep. trying to push into the mainstream. But Smart Guy was getting better numbers than all of those shows. Mm -hmm. And so a negotiation came up where, uh, where someone wanted more money uh, at the same time where Taj was going from being a kid to being a teenager. Yeah. Disney wanted to keep him as a kid and keep writing scripts where he's a kid. Mm -hmm. WB, which was trying to uh, appeal to an older audience, either wanted him to, uh, to start having more teenage type storylines or they wanted to start shifting the focus more to Marcus and Mo. Mm -hmm. And then that caused a rift between the two of them. Yeah. So in the end of it, they told us that the show was picked up and we waited for pilot season. Then on May 15th, they said, Oh, you're canceled. Wow. And so, um, but the show stayed on for the rest of the summer because it was already purchased uh, going into September. So Disney just then sold it to Disney Channel. And at the beginning of September, they started running the show on Disney Channel. And so the audience didn't know that the show was canceled. They never announced it. Mm -hmm. The audience just knew that the show was now on Disney Channel. Yeah. So they just moved it without telling people that the show was canceled. And the audience followed right along and it became Disney Channel's number one show for, uh, for two or three seasons. Mm -hmm. Showed all over the world, yep. uh, 175 different countries, um, and became a, a major worldwide hit yeah um, so much so that uh, about three years ago uh i took a film that i produced to the Cannes film festival uh -huh. and when i got there the young brothers in france treated me like i was denzel washington oh yeah yeah because smart guy ran in paris yeah five days a week at 5 p.m for five years wow Right. So, and, and I mean, that's a good category to be in. I mean, because you, I would say you're one of the most iconic dads, dads in in all of sitcom history. You know, um, I think you played a, you up there with the, um, I mean, a lot of people don't want me to, you know, mention his name, but you up there with the Bill Cosby who played his dad, the Uncle Phil's, you know, um, you are up there. And, uh, and as you should, you should get to those flowers. You are on that level. So yeah. I, I definitely understand. Thank you. Um, yeah. I am uh, most proud of the impact 
that uh, that smart guy had on your generation, because I have young men come up to me all the time. I can only imagine. Oh man, I just want to say thank you because you were the dad I didn't have at home. Wow, it meant something to me to see you every week. Yeah, and those young men, by and large are, you know, reminiscent of you. They're intelligent, they're well-educated, they're well-adjusted, they're moving through society in a way that any parent would be proud to see their son doing. Yeah. And so if we could have any uh, uh, influence on that kind of development on a generation of young men, then, you know, listen, that's actually better than being the most famous actor in Hollywood. Wow. Better. Yeah, definitely. Since we, uh, since we on the uh, topic of impact, the reason why I brought you uh, to the show, um, you've uh, got a couple, you know, spokesperson gigs that you're running. Uh, you want for Pizza Hub, but more importantly, um, Kappa League. Let's, let, let's talk about, you know, what you were uh, doing for Kappa League and, um, yeah, I'm going to just let you get into it. Well, uh, Kappa League is the oldest and most successful African-American male mentorship program in U.S. history. It's founded in 1922. Uh, our guide right, which is what we're a part of, is founded in 1922. We have our 100-year anniversary coming up in 2022. And so to celebrate that 100 years, we are uh, have made a commitment to get 140,000 young black men into college between 2022 and 2032 in that 10 year period. Why 140,000? There's one for every living initiate of Kappa Alpha Psi. So we are making a commitment as an organization um, to put our, our full force behind helping these young men get into college. Mm -hmm. so, how do we do that? Um, we have aligned the membership requirements of Kappa League with the admissions requirements of the HBCU college system. Okay. So when a kid comes into Kappa League and does what we ask for him to do academically, he automatically, automatically makes himself eligible for 56 HBCUs. Mm. Well, we have also aligned ourselves with the Common Black College app, where uh, a young man can come on or a young woman can come on, fill out this application, and for $20 or $30, whatever it is, that application goes out to 56 HBCUs. Why is that important? Well, a college application, each one could cost you $40, $50. Yep. It could get to be expensive over time. But if you can have a young person say, fill out this common black college app when they're a freshman or a sophomore. And by their grade point average of that year, they can see which colleges they already qualify for. Then the first thing is that college doesn't become a question of if, it's not even a question of when, it becomes a question of where. Mm -hmm. So that young person can then start looking at what it is that they're interested in doing and which one or two or three of these colleges uh, specializes in this thing they want to do that they're already qualified for admission for. And once you have that system automated in that kind of way, 
then the organization becomes a pipeline straight to the HBCU college system where we have not only um, numerous Kappa Alpha Psi chapters that are there to support the young man when they come to college, but we also have numerous Kappa Alpha Psi members working in administration all through the HBCU system who we can then contact and say, hey, this young man is coming to your school. Can you please look out for him so that he gets the kind of support that he needs from both the collegiates and from the administration to make sure that he's able to, uh, to have the best college experience possible. And, um, you know, we uh, have come up with this idea. And one of the things that I'm certain of is that uh, our other Divine Nine brothers and sisters are not going to let the noops just roll with something like this and not match us along the way. Hey. Somebody, the Alphas or the Qs or somebody's going to say, we're going to put in more people than Kappa Alpha Psi. And the race is on. Yeah. Um, so that's what, uh, what Kappa League is doing. And you can see the, uh, the banner behind me. Yeah. Uh, motivated mentorship is our motto. And uh, you see the sign TV is because we now have our own YouTube channel called Kappa League TV. And what we're doing with Kappa League TV is we are teaching the young men uh, in Kappa League to be directors, producers, writers, editors, the content creators and storytellers <laughs> of the next generation. Yeah. Why is that important? Because the media is trying to tell America and the rest of the world uh, what the image of a young black man is. You know, and they're trying to make it so that if a young brother has a hoodie on, he's automatically a criminal and can be shot down in the streets. And it shouldn't be like that. Right? Well, what we're going to do is not complain about it. Yep. We're going to create a, uh, uh, a we're going to create content and a content platform that shows young black men in shirts and ties reporting on the stories that are of their community that are interesting and important to them so that they know that nobody gets to tell your story but you. Nobody is empowered to say who you are but you. And so uh, the young men in the chapters have responded uh, tremendously. We've grown by 1,200% in the first year. We just had a, uh, a marathon um, for Kappa League TV to, uh, to bring in more subscribers, but also to put together all of these reports. So the reports are usually about three minutes long, but when you put them all together and you have something that's about an hour long, it actually kind of looks like uh, uh, an episode, a black episode of 60 Minutes. Oh, okay, yeah, that's right? dope. That's a dope concept. Yeah, so these young men are trained. So when these young men go to apply for college and they say, well, what extracurriculars are you involved with? You click them over to Kappa League TV. When these yeah. young men are, uh, are applying for a job and they say, well, are you involved in your community at all? You click them over to Kappa League TV. Mm -hmm. When uh, the Cap Alpha Psi chapters are going to fundraise in their local community and they say, well, what are you guys doing? You click them over to Kappa League TV. When you're going to corporations and you're trying to get corporate funding and backing for certain events and they say, well, what are you guys about? You click them over to Kappa League TV. It becomes a 
a reference library to allow you to use it as a resource to improve your life because we're already in the position uh, to be media literate in a world that has now become completely Zoom friendly. Yep. There are a lot of people that have to start from right now. Uh -huh. They got to start creating content. They got to yep. start putting up their channels. They got to begin. We're not in that position. Our channel has been up for, uh, been up and really running for the last two years. Okay. Uh, we have subscribers all over the world, uh -huh. content creators all over the world. Yeah. And uh, now what has happened is we've started to create a culture where the individual Kappa League chapters are now getting used to the idea of creating their own content. And so um, as we move forward, those will become, you know, correspondence bases. So when something goes down in New York, we can call New York Alumni Kappa League and say, hey, can you get a young man down there to cover this? That's a dope Yeah. And the ones who are reporting are teenagers. Because mm. as we're saying right now, we have a program called, uh, that we're involved with, where they're making 30 second PSAs around the idea of voting because your voice matters. So even if you don't have a vote, you still have a voice. Uh -huh. still be an influencer in your community. So it's time to get our young men involved in expressing their voice and being intellectually sound enough to be able to articulate why voting is important. Those young men are the future congressmen. Those young men are the future mayors and the future district attorneys who understand how to articulate the importance of voting and the importance of the African-American community getting involved in all that. That definitely. is what we're doing. Definitely. And uh, you uh, definitely, I'm, I'm glad that we got you, you know, heading this because, um, I mean, I feel like you a superhero, man, like stepping in to take over this Kappa, Kappa League with the Kappa League TV. Um, I mean, even in, you know, smart guy, you played the superhero one time in that commercial, you know, yeah, yeah, roof, but, of man. <laughs> roof of man. Yes, sir. Roof of man. But you also, um, where it was in the news recently because you did a heroic act again <laughs> by putting out a fire and grabbing a person who, uh, caused a fire in, in your underwear. So, so, so break it down, break it down. What, what happened? Okay. So, <laughs> let me start this whole thing off by saying that, uh, Nowhere in my mind during that day was being a hero did that ever cross my mind. Yeah. And so what basically happened was, um, for whatever reason, I woke up really early that morning, like 5, 5.15. All right. Went back to sleep. So I said, well, let me watch a little TV. Maybe I'll doze back off. And I start hearing behind the television this kind of rumbling noise and just thinking that's part of the show. Uh -oh. But the scene changed and it continued. And I said, oh, that's weird. So I turned the sound down and then you could really hear the rumbling. And I thought I heard somebody scream. So I look out my front window and in the house next door to me, uh, from that house, you could see this bright yellow light coming from the house. Uh -huh. And you, know, you put that together, I look out the door and all of a sudden, you know, there's a freaking fire. Yeah. So uh, run back in, grab my phone, 
put my gym shoes on, call 911, run back over to their place, and there's actually two fires. Wow. Their car is in a ball of flame like a mafia movie. Wow. And then the front door of their house, that whole porch area from the, the, the porch all the way up to the roof of the porch, which led to the roof of the house, that was in flames. Wow. So, um, so I grabbed the, uh, the garden hose was out there, turned it up full blast, uh, worked on the porch fire. And so, you know, I wasn't going to mess with the car because, you know, like in Mafia. Uh-huh. Yep, uh-huh. Right? Yep. I wasn't going near that. That's for the fire. Uh-huh. Yep. But getting it so that they could get out of the house was the most important thing to me and to yeah. stop the house from burning. Uh-huh. So I, you know, work on that. And there's this one thing at the right on the mat that every time you put it out, you move the thing. And it was like a birth, one of them fake birthday candles, right? It would just light back up. Yeah more water on it and you move the water and it'll light back up. So you had to, you know, stay on top of that. So finally I get that out and there's about 10 neighbors now that have gathered. Everybody's in, you know, everybody's in like some sweat. So they draws or a robe, yeah. you know, yeah. it's five 30 in the morning. Right. Uh-huh. So I feel somebody pushing by me and it is a guy who's like six, three, two sixty. And he's got on a ski mask and a winter coat during fire season in a heat wave in Los Angeles. Wow. And he pushes by me and he grabs that thing that I just had so much, such a hard time putting out and starts walking away like he's Debo on Fridays. Like I'm taking your stuff. And so I, I was like, you know, I, I was like, who is this? Yeah. Who is this? Who is this? And so finally I said, hey, who the fuck are you? Oh, man. And dude, I'm telling you, he took off like he was Usain Bolt. Wow. He did not look back. He didn't turn around. He didn't hesitate. He took off running, chin in the air, knees to his chest, running down the street. And I'm as amped on adrenaline as anybody else. So yeah. I took off after him. Here come Rufa, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So me and there was another guy that was running with me, and we finally get down. He's now this guy has a getaway car. Yeah, down the what? street, parked down the street. So he's trying to get in his car, and he now he's all excited. So he's fumbling around, I guess, looking for his keys, and I catch up to him there, and we're wrestling. He's able to get into the car and grab onto the wheel, so I can't get him out because he's like a big guy. Yeah. He's holding on to the wheel. Uh-huh. So I pull his mask off. And now, you know, he's been unmasked. Now, you know, you could see who it is. Like Scooby-Doo or something, huh? Yeah, yeah. So when <laughs> I do that, he panics and starts reaching over on, you know, over toward the glove box. Like he. Ah, hell no. Mm. So then that meant I had to get in the car. Yeah. So I got in the car on top of it. And right then he pulled up a baseball bat. So I grabbed his arm and wrestling with him and get the door open and tell the other guy, take the bat from him. And then, you know, grab his arm and jack it up behind his neck and holding him, you know, and my heel of my hand up under his chin. And, and now I, you know, I got him and I, you know, kind of got him. I've got my, you know, my feet are holding his leg down. So, you know, it was one of them, like, almost like a UFC kind of. This sound like a movie scene. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> and so at that point, I held him for like 15 minutes until the cop got there, 15 or 20 minutes. Wow. And all I'm thinking is, where the fuck are the cops? Because I'm in pretty good shape, but yeah. I'm in shape to be holding no grown man, man. for 15, 20 minutes. Right? While, while I'm on top of him, though, I realize that he reeks of gasoline. Mm. It reeks. So finally, the cops get there, and thank God my neighbors were there, because, you know, that could have gone a completely different way. Definitely. Black man on top of somebody wrestling him, you know, uh -huh. fire. That could have gone a different way. Yep. But, you know, cops came in, uh, tapped me out. Uh, they handcuffed this guy, pulled him out of the car, opened up his trunk. He got five gallons of gas in the trunk. Wow. Right? So, um, and at that, and now I'm, I'm, you know, amped, right? And the As you should. Car, you know, they're asking me what's going on. I'm giving them my version, right? Uh -huh. And after about 10 minutes, I realized um, I lost a shoe and I don't know where it is. <laughs> on top of that, I've been running with one running shoe. So I'm running like, like this. And I done pulled a muscle. Oh, man. Right? Because, I, you know, I didn't know. You was all on adre adrenaline. I was, all, I was all adrenalized. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then, finally, I realized, as I'm looking at everybody around, that it appears that I'm the only one out here in my <laughs> I was like, well, uh, I get this stuff. Maybe it's time for me to go put some clothes on before this ends up on TMZ. <laughs> and guess where it went. And guess where it went. TMZ. And so TMZ called me, uh, and, and I really, I wasn't going to say anything. That was like on a Tuesday. Wednesday, I went to work. I'm working on a show called uh, For All Mankind. For All right. Plus. Okay, yeah. So I went to work, you know, wrapped it up, wrapped the leg up, wrapped my foot up, and, you know, didn't want to, didn't want to draw any attention to myself. Yeah. Because I realized at this point in my life that, Black men who draw attention to themselves, put themselves in harm's way for no reason. I feel it. So I just went to work, came back Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, I get a call, say, hey, uh, TMZ has the story and they want to know if you want to comment. So you realize when they say, if you want to comment, that means the story is going to run. Yeah. Whether you say anything or not. Mm -hmm. So you better get in there and find out what they're getting ready to say. Yeah. So talk to TMZ. You know, they were cool. I told them pretty much the exact thing, same thing I told you. And, mm -hmm. uh, and out it came. Yeah. But the main thing, though, is that the house was saved. Mm -hmm. Family was saved. Yep. Um, and everybody, including the alleged perpetrator, walked away without harm. Definitely. Right? Yeah. He wasn't harmed. I wasn't harmed. They weren't harmed. Yeah. Though I did feel like I had gone out to play flag football with a bunch of 30 <laughs> I can only imagine. Man, guys, can... guys my age that go out to play football end up just like that hamstring pull. Oh, man, yeah. Foot Limping, my leg, my leg. Yeah, <laughs> and trying to act like uh, like you're still 30. And oh, I realized man. at that point, it's like, you know, if I was 30, 
I'd have caught him halfway down the block. Hey, <laughs> hey, but you caught him though. It's still impressive because you caught him. You I caught did. him. It's still because he was fumbling. Oh yeah. <laughs> if he hadn't been fumbling, I wouldn't. I was. I was limping down. I was limping. I was almost like hopping, like you know, on one leg in my drawers with one shoe on, hopping down the street. Cussing at him while I'm hot. Oh, man. Hey, I'm coming. I'm coming. Don't you get in that car. It was It was probably pretty comical if you oh. were watching it from outside. Oh, um, man. But oh, it's man. one of the things that you laugh about afterwards. Oh, man. Right? While you're doing it, it's dead serious. Yeah. Floaty came out. That, that yeah, Floaty came out. <laughs> no, uh, man, it was a good conversation. I'm, I'm glad you... Um, took the time out in your busy schedule to holler at me. Um, I do have one last question. Um, and you kind of touched on it a little earlier. And, you know, tonight's uh, the d- debate night as well. So we, you know, we both going to be tuning in. We itching to see what's going to happen tonight. Um, for those who are listening, why should they vote? The The most important thing that's going on right now is that we're going through a transition in our country where white folks are having to make a choice. Are they going to be this or are they going to be that? And they have clearly, there's a group of white people that, that didn't, they knew that things were happening to black people, but they didn't really get it until the eight minutes and 46 seconds where they watched George Floyd get murdered on national television. And then everything that we said became real because it was no longer a philosophy. It was now their experience. Yep. And when they had that experience, when you have an experience, it gets into your body. It's not just something that happens. You have an emotional response. It releases chemicals. Those chemicals Uh, reach into the receptor sites in your cells and you feel it in your entire body. That's what happened to this generation of young white folks. Uh They have decided that this ain't going to be like that. They're not going to carry the burden and the guilt of racism with them for another moment. Yeah. Reason why it's important to get out and vote is because we have allies now that we never had before. That is correct. There to support the change of the eradication of institutional racism in a way that we never could have affected it before because we weren't going to be in the rooms where the decisions were made. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity to completely shift the balance of power. And once we're now into, uh, into an awareness that institutional racism, that systemic racism is real, uh-huh. and it is acknowledged by the legislative bodies of this country, then we can really start to make some substantive change in how racism is going to affect us in ways that we take for granted that it's just America. Yep. Right. The being able to put judges on the bench that aren't racist judges, 
so that they can stop sending brothers to jail like they're giving out lunch money uh-huh. is an important part that we don't even think about. Yeah. But whoever is in charge of the Senate is in charge of the judges. Uh-huh. Right? Being able to um, being able to look at all of the places where there are still laws on the books that make it illegal to sell to black people. Now listen, those laws won't be enforced, but the fact that they exist uh-huh. legitimacy. Yep. Then it tells somebody that they can actually act in a way that is in concurrence with the law uh-huh. and be racist. Yep. So it's all of the things that you the things that aren't obvious that you haven't thought about. The fact that um, that uh, black folks are dying at a much higher rate from COVID-19 than our white counterparts are. Uh-huh. has to do with the fact that black folks have to work in these frontline positions where they have much more exposure to, uh, to the COVID-19 virus. Yep. And so uh, the inability to be able to position yourself economically to not be on the front line means you are much more likely to be a victim of whatever comes by. Yep. This is what happened to the brothers in Vietnam, right? Talk about it. They drafted all of these brothers and when the brothers would get over in Vietnam, they would put the brothers on the scout team to go out and see if the Viet Cong was there and brothers were dying at a much higher rate because they were out walking into the mines and uh-huh. you know, getting shot. And, yep. and that was a real thing. Uh-huh. Why? Because if you're not in position to be able to make decisions about your own livelihood, then someone is going to make those decisions who does not care about you or your family or your livelihood. Yep. That is why young people from 18 years old to 35 years old must get out and vote. You're doing it for all those little reasons. Uh You're doing it for your children and the world that they're going to grow up in, which will be deeply affected if we don't win this election. Yep. Right. They're already Obama's last year, Supreme court justice dies. They say, no, you can't have a justice in the last year. The president, you got to wait till the new president comes in. Yep. RBG comes in, they take that Supreme Court seat. Uh-huh. Now, same thing happened right now. What do yep. they do? We're going to get it done before the election. Why? Because what they're hoping is that young people, and especially young black people, don't come out and vote, or that you stick your votes in the mail and they can muck up the post office. And then that way, they can take it to the Supreme Court where they have uh, a six to three edge in terms of the justices, and they're going to try and put Trump back in office through the Supreme Court and forget your vote. Yep. That's what they plan. But here's the secret. Black folks are not a mail-in ballot population. We're an early voting population. We go souls to the polls. We have all kinds of mechanisms set up to allow us to get there and vote early in numbers. So here's my suggestion, young folks. 
If you haven't already gotten a mail-in ballot, don't worry about it, go and vote early. If you have gotten a mail-in ballot, be sure you fill out everything correctly. You got a secret sleeve, you got to put your ballot in, then you got to seal the envelope, then you got to sign it, and in some places you got to get a witness to sign it. But once all that is done, you don't have to stick it in the mail. You can walk down to your early voting place or to your voting location, and you don't have to stand in line. You already have your ballot. You walk right to the front, you keep your mask on, you stay socially distant, you stick it in the box, you go home, your vote gets counted. We have to be, we have to want our vote to get counted as bad as they want our vote to be suppressed. Uh-huh, definitely. Yeah. want it that bad. Uh -huh. You got to want it for your kids. You got to want it for your mom and daddy, for your grandparents that went out there and walked on them lines and got them dogs sicked on them and them hoses turned on them. And they yeah. still turning around and doing it to you right now. Young people going out driving, got a broken tail light, end up on the, on the uh, curb, handcuffed to the car while they go through all your stuff and then take you off to jail. And if you don't talk to them right, if you don't say yes, sir, no, sir, when they're trying to uh, uh, freaking embarrass you out there, then they snatch you out of the car and sometimes will shoot you. Uh -huh. How is that any different from lynching? If you end up dead at the end of the process, how is that different? So you have to go out and vote. Yep. And we got to vote in numbers that are so big that they can't steal the election after it's all over. Yeah. Right? Uh -huh. So understand, a few years ago, when last year of Obama's presidency, now I did a movie, produced a movie called The Last Revolutionary that's available on Amazon that is about two brothers having a political conversation during the last year of Obama's presidency with all that was going on. What was really happening? They started shooting brothers in the streets and we got video of it. And the video went up on, uh, you know, social media. And all of a sudden it was like, damn, they're shooting brothers in the streets. The cops are just shooting brothers. Uh -huh. Use that to suppress the vote. Then they sent out all these Russian bots on Facebook as fake black lives matter uh, sites. And, Russian bots about, you know, oh, you should hate Hillary Clinton because she did this and she did that. And in some ways we listened and we didn't show up to the polls. And Donald Trump won in some places by like, you know, 20,000 votes when there were, you know, 150,000 black people that didn't vote. Uh -huh. So we allowed ourselves to get tricked into not voting because somebody told us what was good for us and what wasn't. They told us that Hillary Clinton wasn't going to be good for us. Well, guess what? You got Donald Trump by not voting. Do you want to do that again? Nope. Because 200,000 people are dead when Donald Trump knew that this virus was going to kill him but he didn't want to say anything because he wanted the economy to keep going because that's what he was running on. Uh -huh. 200,000 people are dead. The question is, are you going to stay at home and let that happen? Or are you going to get out here and do something about it? Yep. Get out here and vote.
Yes, indeed. I know um, with uh, Alpha, we've uh, had a um, a national program since the 1930s called the Voteless People of the Hopeless People. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, always the reason why it was started because, you know, uh, there was a lack of education about the voting pro- uh, process and um, poll tax, a whole lot of, you know, uh, I think it was a, a also like a had something to do with like the literacy test or whatever the case may be, because uh, you had to be able to read in order to vote a whole lot of other things, you know? Um, and uh, I think the name of the national program hits home. A voteless people is a hopeless people, because if you ain't voting, then, you know, what, what's, what's, what's the point of, you know, like our, our during the civil rights era and uh, even back in the twenties, thirties, forties, fifties, before my time, um, there have been many individuals who fought for this right for us to be able to vote, to express ourselves, to fight for our rights, to, for black education, black, uh, just black, um, the whole black diaspora as a whole in success and excellence and for individuals who say, oh, I don't want to vote because, you know, it ain't, it don't really affect me. Yes, it does affect you. Um, and I think that um, that's where we, I'm going to categorize this all together. We as black people need to realize that the decisions that are being made in the white house or at the Senate or with the state of representatives, all this stuff matters. When RBG died, rest in peace, um, this, whoever, like if Trump picks this, uh, next uh, Supreme Court judge, this is going to, I mean, you might not think this is going to affect you, but this is going to have an effect for a long time because Supreme Court judges, they sit in those seats for the longest. I believe that's the only um, place in our government where um, you sit there forever, basically. It's not like, you know, we got to vote for them every four years like the president or every two years or wherever the case may be for mayors. It's really important. So, Y'all need to get your ass out there and vote. I'm sorry for my language, but uh, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's keeping it real. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So um, remember this: your mail-in ballot, your absentee ballot, mail-in ballot, and absentee ballot are the same. Gives you the opportunity to vote at home and then walk it in to the early voting place or the voting ballot drop box or just the regular. If you do it on November third. You get to walk it in and your vote will be counted. Yes. All this mess that they're doing with the post office, it's going to take years to fix. Yeah. Not just now. They started, not only did they pull the sorting machines out, they dismantled them so that you can't ever use them again. Uh Right. That's, this is their plan. Don't allow yourself to be manipulated by somebody else's plan. Make your own plan. Be your own man, be your own woman, and get out there and vote. Definitely. John Marshall Jones, ladies and gentlemen. How can we how can we follow you? Um, you know, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, everything. Yeah, pick me up on IG. It's uh, at John Marshall Jones on IG or uh, Kappa Kappa underscore league underscore TV. So either one of those, John Marshall Jones or Kappa underscore league underscore TV. And yes, you can follow and communicate with me there. And, um, you know, that's where you and I hooked up. Yep. Right? And if you can, once we get off, drop me from your IG to my IG uh, some contact information about whoever it is that's running the, uh, the Alpha's uh, voting program. 
Because yeah. if I can, I'd like to interview him for Kappa League TV. Oh, definitely. I uh, did a uh, the episode before this. I did a episode with our uh, Midwest Regional Vice President, um, Ron Stovall. So I'm, I'm gonna get you contacted with him. Once I stop the recording, we can. I can. Uh, I mean, we can chat a little bit after the recording is done or whatever, and I can send it your way, whatever case may be. But yeah, we can we can get that going because uh, that's that's big. Ooh, uh, you don't got me agitated. <laughs> Ooh, nah, you don't got me agitated. But yeah, just drop it to me and uh, and I'll reach out to Ron from there. Yeah, sounds good. John Marshall Jones, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Um, episode 35 of the Pro Fights Be Like podcast. Um, I hope you enjoyed the show. Um, like I said, you know, this, this guy's legendary. He's one of the best dads there are on TV um, in his role in Smart Guy. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, we, we all talk about those dads, and uh, he's definitely up there in that category. So uh, we'd like to thank him for coming on to our podcast. This is Mr. Pro Fights Be Like, and we are signing off. Cut.